I mean, you can't break my heart. I've already got the worst of it. So I think that really gave me a boldness and a confidence that if I can get through that, I can build businesses left and right. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast, inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Hello, and welcome to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneurs. If you're new to the show, I interview entrepreneurs, business owners, and influencers in East Idaho and tell their origin stories. You guys, these stories are so inspiring, and I love to learn how our local businesses came to be. I also feel it's important to get to know our neighbors better and to hear about all the great work that's being done right here in East Idaho. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, today, I have a fascinating guest, and I'm so excited to hear her story. She's an inno- inventor, a business owner, an author, and an expert, and we are lucky to have her join us today. So welcome, Laurel Bloomfield of Dreamers, Makers, Doers, Pocket Innerwear, and Launch Incubator. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, you have a lot of story to tell us, girl, and I'm so excited <laughs> to hear you're busy, you have all these things going on. Tell us a little bit about what this story, like Dreamers, Makers, Doers, Pocket Innerwear, Launch Incubator, how did these all go together? What are you doing? Yeah, I kind of, that's kind of my personality to have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, sometimes I have to really check myself and pull back and not say yes to everything. But over the last few years, I've had quite a journey from taking an idea and patenting it myself and scaling it all the way to major retail contracts. And um, we are actually in the process of selling that company right now, Pocket Innerwear. And over the last year, kind of in that transition period, I had to decide what I was going to do with that knowledge that I gained by that experience of building that company. And so I founded Dreamers, Makers, Doers for other people who have ideas, but they don't know where to start. Um, And in particular, potentially patentable ideas. A lot of people have this misconception that it's going to cost them tens of thousands of dollars to patent their idea. And so they just sit on it. It's just stuck in their head. And the sad story you hear a lot, or maybe you've experienced in your life, is like, wait a minute, that was my idea five years later. And really, I believe everyone has had a million-dollar idea, like every single person. And some of those ideas could change the world, save somebody's life, make somebody smile, but they're sitting on them because they think they need tens of thousands of dollars to get USPTO protection, which would be the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So I teach people how to write their provisional patent and their patent themselves and um, get their business going so that they can generate some revenue. And if there is more legal costs, they are now have a proof of concept idea and a business and they can afford to, to pay for those fees. But a lot of times people starting out, you don't have 30 grand. And if you did, that money... If you spend it all on a patent, it could have been spent on marketing and it puts you in a very uncomfortable chicken before the egg situation. So Dreamers, Makers, Doers helps people with that. And then kind of an offspring of that is Launch Incubator um, because I get a lot of people coming to me who are close to positioning themselves to launch in a bigger way, um, whether that is scaling their manufacturing up so that they can grow their digital marketing efforts and grow their company bigger. 
Um, but oftentimes it's, it's companies that need to know the next steps to get their products into major retail. And Launch Incubator helps companies launch their products into bigger distribution channels. Okay, so if I am at home and I have this great idea, mm -hmm. um, you're the one that can help me kind of decide what the heck to do with it, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and I love that. It's very fun. I get a lot of ideas across my desk. It's fun to hear other people's creativity and kind of be a part of that. And hopefully, um, even just in a phone call, steer them in a direction that maybe will save them a bunch of money, a bunch yeah, of time, right. a bunch of mistakes, because I made them all. It's not like I just had an easy track yeah, to where yeah. I got it. There this was a is lot why you're of the expert because you've been through all yeah. of this. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right. Well, let me step you back then. So okay. you have, where did this journey start? It started with pocket innerwear. Yeah. I mean, this, this, what we're talking about now, but I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Okay. So yeah. I mean, I started my first business when I was nine. So tell me about it. Um, so I grew up pretty poor. We didn't have a lot of money. My dad worked really hard, but never had a lot of money. And um, I was the oldest child, so I was a very responsible oldest child. And how many siblings did you I have? just have two younger okay. siblings, but um, I think even for a nine-year-old, I was responsible. I was babysitting infants when I was nine. Wow. And I don't know a nine-year-old I'd leave my right exactly. <laughs> so, um, but word got around that I was a really good babysitter and I got booked completely out, like between nine and 10 years old. And um, I got too busy. I had to train other no babysitters way. under me really? who were usually several <laughs> years older than me. Wow. And then I booked them out and charged a percentage. No, you did not. Yeah, and I mean, I well, didn't even great. know I was a little shark no when I was nine years old, but I did that. But um, I did that to help my family. Yeah. Because I knew I knew my parents struggled. They didn't ever put that on me. Right. But I just was that I just kind of always felt that kind of responsibility. So I figured out a way to help find a solution. Right. Or right. provide a solution or I mean my babysitting money didn't pay all the bills, but <laughs> but it helped. It helped, yeah. Um mm -hmm. so that kind of that spirit has sort of always been in me to see a problem and want to put myself in there to try and fix it. Yeah. And then use whatever skills I have to, to capitalize so that I can fix a problem. And that's really what an entrepreneur is, is problem finder and a solution finder. So at that point, is that where you felt like you catch, caught that bug of, um, like you said, I can find a solution to this. And so I'm going to look for the issues and find solutions. Mm -hmm. Is that, I don't think I knew that then uh -huh. I think it was more just, it, it sort of came naturally to me. I didn't spend any thought on what that meant or how it set me apart or anything uh -huh. like that. I think it took me actually, um, like I went, I was a good student. I got scholarships in college. I, went all the way through college. Um, and then I married my husband, who's an entrepreneur. He's a cattle rancher. He's a fifth generation cattle rancher. Um, so it's pretty old school entrepreneurship, about right. as old school as you can get, but, right. but he's a business owner. And um, I think that's where I really gained the confidence that 
I really am an entrepreneur. When you were in school, did you study business or? No, uh -uh. I studied animal science. Oh, okay. So you weren't even thinking that this is going to be. Mm -mm. Well, I did start my own business within the animal science industry. And then I used those skills when I married my husband. But um, I should have done at least some ag business classes. <laughs> but I just but really it, loved animals. And yeah, that's not right. where your, your brain really like, wasn't like, I'm going to start multiple businesses. No. Yeah. No. I wanted to get married. I wanted to marry a cowboy. Yeah. I like knew who I was going to marry. I saw him when I was younger. <laughs> okay. Um, and I wanted to have babies. So that's how that's you it. were. Yeah. That's how you were. I knew that I was capable mm -hmm. of being very successful. I knew I was capable of that. Yeah. I, my desire wasn't there. My desire was to be a mom. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about school. You said you started a business in while you were even in college. Yeah. I did, again, to help pay for it. Oh, so okay, got it. I got scholarships, and then I also had um, work study, which is part of under, like, the financial aid, and then I started a business, and I did an internship in college for equine dentistry. So you work under a veterinarian, and um, I was trained by basically the founder of that practice, wow. equine dentistry. Wow. And so then I started a business doing horse's teeth when wow. <laughs> I was in college. <laughs> yeah, that's that great. That led me to Colorado, which is where my husband is from. Got it. Um, and we met there. And then uh, his parents had sold out when he was in college. And um, he wanted to ranch. So he grew up in Colorado, and it's very pricey. Oh. So we moved to the Northwest. Got it. And we bought, I mean, he had some money. He was young, but he had some money, not enough to buy a ranch you know, down Valley from Aspen, but enough to go to Oregon and we bought 300 acres. So you specifically went to Oregon because mm -hmm. of his first to ranch. He could ranch. Okay. Yeah. We wanted to build that business from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Like, like his great, great grandparents did. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, I'm on board because on this board. is yeah, a yep. family thing and let's do it. Yeah. So we moved to Oregon, we bought 300 acres and we flipped it like it that's flipping on a pretty big scale. Yeah, we right. put in a huge <laughs> irrigation system and picked rocks and made fields and uh, put in a reservoir and barn and corrals and fixed up a hundred year old house and then in two years doubled our money. Had you planned on doing that, flipping it? Yeah. We okay. bought it with the intention to flip it. Okay, got it. So that we could go bigger. Okay. That was our intention. And so did you go bigger? We did. We bought it. We, we um, doubled our money and we signed the papers the week before the 2008 crash. Oh my gosh. So we got very, I mean, we were very blessed yeah, in no that kidding. situation. Wow. Um, and the guy who bought it, I guess not so much, but he, he was older and gonna stay and yeah. he's probably recovered by now. <laughs> but, um, and then we bought 2,000 acres up in Washington, like across the border wow. from where we were. And we um, took on partners at that point. And then um, we grew our cow herd to a few hundred and um, we leased another 10,000 acres and so all this time are you supporting your husband or are you doing your own thing do you have other stuff happening so, in the background um I wanted to be a mom yeah and we tried for a long time and it didn't work so most of our efforts was in trying to get pregnant yeah, that sounds right. like too much information but it, it, <laughs> no, it, I mean, it that, turned into a whole bunch of medical well sure procedures sure. surgeries and a, infertility a treatments your life you and hadn't planned on. I had not planned yeah I had right. planned on having 
I had like it all pictured in my head. I would have at least four children by the time I was 30 and then I would adopt a couple children. Mm. I had it all planned out mm-hmm. and it, it just didn't work that way. There was way. somebody else who had a different plan yes. for you. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. So um, we, we went through that for seven years Okay. and we were growing our cattle business and my husband also has a heavy equipment construction business. He's done excavation work his whole life. I mean, growing up on the ranch, you kind of do that anyways. And right. That's how he um, made his made his money. And so he did that in in conjunction with the ranch. And then I really just worked those businesses with him. Yeah, right. You know, I was outside with him 12 hours a day or I was doing the books yeah, for the construction it's business. It's a really physical kind of work that you guys were doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. ranching is very physical. And, and then we were just kind of up our canyon. Our neighbor, our nearest neighbor was four miles away. And we just, we had a very happy life. We yeah. just, we couldn't have children. And that was very sad. Yeah. And so we went for seven years through that. And I think that, um, like I dove into the businesses with my husband because I needed some outlet to build something, yeah. create yeah. something. Yeah. And, um, that is really where I got my confidence in business. And so, um, we were married seven years and then we adopted our little baby boy at birth seven years ago. Well, congratulations. Yeah. And he's awesome. He's yeah. the best thing ever. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't, I do it all over again. I yeah. do all of that. It was, it was literally my version of hell. Because all I ever wanted to be was a mother. Yeah. So for seven years to not understand why I couldn't be that was, was heartbreaking. Yeah, quite a journey in and yeah. of itself just going through that. Right. And, but now I can see, I mean, aside from my family being wonderful, and I, I know that he came when he was supposed to, and he's exactly who he was supposed to be. And if it had worked out my way, I, I probably wouldn't even know him. And that that breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. I want him mm-hmm. and, and I wouldn't trade him for anything. Mm-hmm. And, but going through that seven years, it taught me so much about, I think, entrepreneurship, patience, um, dealing with rejection. I mean, every month is like the worst no I could ever hear. Yeah. No kidding. So when I built pocket Innerwear with my partners, but when I built pocket Innerwear, I was the bold one who picked up the phone and called Target because I'm not <laughs> afraid. Like, what do I have to lose? If huh? they tell me no, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't break my heart because it's already, I've already got the worst of it. So, um, I think that really gave me a boldness and a confidence that if I can get through that, I can build businesses left yeah. and right. <laughs> yeah. So. No kidding. I think, um, that's really profound. I, uh, you wonder why sometimes things happen in your life. And I, what I hear you saying is all of that prepared you yeah. for where you are today. Right. Yeah. Had it been different, we might not be sitting here. Right. It would be different. Yeah. My life would be different. And I would be happy. Of course. I would love my life if yeah. it had turned out my way, but it, I would, I, it wouldn't be as good. So, you know, how have you been able to accept that? That's tough, right? Because we go through our lives and we're like, this is my agenda. Mm-hmm. This is the way that I want to have it done. Mm-hmm. And when God, the universe, whatever you mm-hmm. believe in has a different plan for you, mm-hmm. what is it that helps you wrap your mind around the fact that, okay, my life isn't going to be this way. It's going to be this other way. I think it's, um, 
I would credit it to my child. I, he's taught me the most about life and God and the meaning of it all. Mm-hmm. And I think if we really take the time to look at our children, they all do that. Um, but I mean, I have had, I would say some of it is my personality. A lot of it is, I think, um, I maybe came with some understanding, which is why I was a booked out babysitter at nine years old, <laughs> right? <from laughs> infants, including multiple children at the same time, because I, it's just part of my personality to kind of be, um, easy and go with the flow. Mm-hmm. But then, um, some of the struggles that I've had in my life, including infertility, um, growing up very poor and, um, I had an accident when I was 15 and I couldn't walk for a year. Oh my goodness. So like I, yeah. I've had a lot of opportunities for yeah. God Trial. to teach me how <laughs> to be patient. I mean, yeah. people do say you're very patient and you're so easygoing. And I'm like, well, I probably, I'm probably more hardheaded than everyone, which is why I have gone through some of these Because you're things. just determined, like I'm going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And so I think it's probably a culmination of... You know, if you just everyone has trials in their life. I mean, but if you can get through them, then the next one is yeah, it's less. You just have to take that trial and be confident that hey, I made it through that. I could do whatever I want. Right. It's a great lesson for all of us because, especially those of us who in business are in business, we definitely face um, trials Mm -hmm. and things that we hadn't planned on. And so you can either give up Mm -hmm. or you can just. Muscle through them. Power and, through. Yeah. Put your exactly. head down and power through. Exactly. Right. And, and really, there is something better on the other side. It's just that we lack the vision. Yeah. And the faith sometimes to yeah. believe that there's something bigger in control and it, life right. is happening for us and not to us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I understand that while you were in, while you were in Washington, you, um, that's where you met your, is that where you met your partners for Pocket Innerwear? How did that all happen? So I have um, four of us girls started it together, and um, one of my really good friends, she had moved from Ammon up to Dayton, Washington, and her husband was the CFO for the hospital there, and we went to church together, and we became just the best of friends, And but she's from here originally. Okay. Got it. Um, she actually moved to Utah for another job for her husband. And, um, then I, so then I was in Washington, um, and then we brought on another one of her partners is her sister and one of their good friends they went to high school with. So tell me about pocket innerwear. How did that all come to be? So we started a clothing company together, the four of us, just, I think like a lot of moms do buy wholesale clothes that are cute and resell them online at retail price. So we started that. And during that time, there was kind of a few hot trends that included like leggings and maxi skirts and skinny jeans. And we were selling a lot of them and kind of realizing there is no place to put your phone. There's no pockets and women. Well, everyone carries their phone everywhere now. So um, my partner, Nikki, she was um, kind of in charge of like shipping things to Amazon and shipping. And she, she's very creative and was fiddling with a boot, a boot cuff. We sold a lot of boot cuffs as that was that there was a big trend of wearing leggings with boots and some frilly boot cuffs. So we sold a lot of boot cuffs. Okay. 
and she had the idea one day to put a pocket in the boot cuff and you can put your phone there and so yeah as a group we we're like that's a genius idea yeah because like, we let, need a place to put our stuff yeah let's do that so for that clothing company um nikki just started sewing those pocketed boot cuffs and it's not what our pocket is now but it was kind of the original moment idea, that yeah. sort of turned it was like a pivoting point yeah from we sell cute clothes online to we have an idea yeah and did you uh, know it at the time you were like oh we're on to something I think at the time we thought it was a great idea because we were selling a lot of boot cuffs boot cuffs were one of our number one sellers in general and then Nikki had that idea and so she put it on Amazon kind of before we even knew what we were doing as far as digital marketing goes or how to like optimize listings on Amazon. And it went to bestseller very quickly. Without even so, a lot of work from you right, guys. Right, right. So a question here. If, so if you have a new product, can, is, you can just put it on Amazon? You don't have to go through some approval process to have it be accepted? We already had... Um, an account, an okay. active account with listings. And you can, you put a listing on and you have to have um, like a SKU and a UPC number. You just have to do some things. Some work in the background. Work yeah. in the background. Got it. Um, and then, yeah, Amazon will approve it, but it's not a big, um, not a huge usually deal. not a huge deal unless you're doing some kind of disruptive like health or medical okay, got product. It. So you're, you're on Amazon and it goes to bestseller. Yeah, and so that is kind of a click, like, oh, oh yeah, hey. women really do want more pockets. Yeah. That's something. And then so kind of collectively, we thought we should put this in, like, other stuff we're selling. Like, if we're putting in boot cuffs, why don't we put pockets in leggings? And why don't we put it in tank tops? Like, let's – so um, kind of working through that and designing the pockets and putting pockets in different places on clothing that kind of fits your body – tight enough to hold a phone or whatever you want to put in your pocket in there, um, similar to like a stretchy boot cuff. And, but then identified more issues with, okay, so if we have this pocket in the tank top, I mean, what, what problems does that now actually create instead of solve? And, you know, a lot of pockets won't fit every phone or the phones will fall out or you have to have buttons or zippers, which yeah. could look funky under clothes and be annoying. There's no easy access. So um, we went through all of that and ended up with a design of a pocket that was unique enough for a patent. And most people think that's crazy that we got a yeah, patent a pocket. on a pocket <laughs> in clothes. That's not a new idea. You're right. But this pocket holds any contents in place minus any closure mechanism. So no button zippers, Velcro, you can flip on the trampoline and whatever you have in your pocket won't fall out. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and so is it just the fabric? Is you just kind of fold the mm -hmm. fabric over itself? It's uh -huh. like a pocket within a pocket. Okay. And then um, it has to be on a, um, a garment with some stretch so that it sort of stretches against itself to close it. Okay, That's the closure. Okay. The fabric closes in on itself. Okay. And um, so once we knew we had a unique enough idea that we could potentially get a patent on a pocket, um, we were kind of out of money because we had been through kind of product development and... Um, and it's of, still the four of you pretty mm -hmm. much sitting around the table like this, having a conversation. Yeah, on the phone or yeah. around the table or, yeah, kind of just figuring it out. And so I actually um, wanted to figure out if I could write the patent myself and save us that money. And so... And what made you think that you could do this? 
don't know. <laughs> You're just like, I am let me kind try of it. Crazy, like, give me a challenge <laughs> and let me see if I can figure it out. Yeah. And um, so I did. I figured out that I could write the patent on my own. Um, and and then three years later, we were awarded the patent. Wow. It was a little bit of a hard fought battle. By that time, we were in the market. We were getting traction and. We had to sort of fight with the USPTO examiners, so that's where the lawyer came in. Mm-hmm. Did you have people copying language. you once it started hitting the market? We have a few people copying us, uh-huh. yeah. And that's another thing. I mean, that's if it's a good idea, that's going to happen even if you have a patent. Right. But the patent gives you at least protection from the big dogs because they big dogs don't want to come in and steal ideas from It costs them a lot moms. of money to... Yeah, I mean... Big companies steal from each other, uh-huh. and they call it just the cost of doing business. Like Samsung and Apple will steal from each other constantly, yeah. even patented products. And they might settle a suit for $5 billion, but Apple made it's worth it. Made a $100 billion on Got the it. launch of the product they mm-hmm. stole, and they do it back and forth constantly. But I think a lot of people think that like Apple would come in and steal our pocket idea. They would never do that. Okay. It's Got not it. worth it to them. Mm-hmm. Not worth it to them for their image. Um, they do it to each other. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that that kind of story lends itself to people being fearful that, well, if I put my idea out there, somebody's going to steal it anyways. Yeah, probably. Somebody's going to steal it. China's going to knock it off. Like, But if you move, you can be successful. Yeah. I mean, there's enough to go around. Yeah. And you can have protection from at least the big guys that could potentially squash you. If somebody, some little guy copies you, it's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, and it's probably not a huge impact. Right. When you, So when you originally started this pocket, you were talking about cell phones and stuff, but mm-hmm. this has morphed into something more because I think there was just recently an article about how um, you guys, you and your partners were specializing in medical mm-hmm. devices like insulin pumps. Yeah. Yeah, so that that turned very quickly. Our focus turned that direction because we were in sort of that prototype phase. We had been trying to figure out how to make this pocket work and then um, where to put it and what to sell. And um, I was writing the provisional patent application. And in that application, um, you write out like every potential use for your idea. And And that's to protect you from... I mean, it kind of just gives you the provisional application is the first part of the application through the patent process. And then you have once you file that, you have a year from that date where you are protected fully under the USPTO without a full patent issued. Got it. And then um, you have one year to file a non-provisional patent. And that is um, quite a lot more strategic than the provisional and actually more narrow, but not too narrow that someone could... So in the Go beginning, right you were it. just like all the potential things that yes, could be used kind for. of the provisional patent really gives you just a filing date, and you want it as the provisional. You want it as broad as you can. Got it. The patent you have to be more strategic, but the provisional patent application put put everything, everything in there, in there. Uh-huh. and it doesn't have to be. It's like doesn't have to be super professional. It's like a high school report. If you can write a high school report, <laughs> you can, you do can this. write your own provisional okay, patent. Okay, good to know. And you get a year of USPTO protection to for, work out the for details. the filing fee of $275. And okay. most people think, and even are told, you've got to pay me 10 grand to retain me to start this. Yeah. And most people don't, a lot of people don't have that. Yeah, well, and we don't know. We could do this on our own because it seems so intimidating. It is. Yeah, it seems very intimidating. All right. 
you can do it on your own and then it saves you that money because now you're protected and you can use that money to develop your products, to put them out in the market, to prove your concept before you go and spend 10, 30 grand on a patent. Got it. Because you might get a patent and you might not be able to build business. Yeah, right. So now you've wasted your money. And you, I'd rather see business owners or idea people use what money they do have to try and build that product, build it into a business and generate revenue before they take a big chunk of change for a piece of paper. Right. It's a valuable piece of paper if you can build the business around it. The idea, ideas don't make you money. Businesses make you money. Yeah, got it. Because there's a lot of us who have ideas that never come to fruition. Yeah. Okay, so you're doing the provisional patent. You're putting in all these particular things that could be. Yes. And so I list like cell phones, credit cards, handguns, medical devices, lip gloss. I mean, anything. Yeah. And it it was like a full paragraph of everything I can think of. Got it. And um, shortly after I had sort of finished that first draft of my provisional, um, a few things happened kind of serendipitously. Not very pleasant, but um, one of my... Happened to be at the same time. Right. One of my good friends, um, her little boy, he was seven months at the time. He was very sick one night. I mean, babies get sick. We all think they're going to die when we're new mothers. (laughs) So she takes him to the hospital, um, and they diagnose him with the flu and send him home. And what a lot of people don't know, and um, a lot of doctors misdiagnose with the flu, because it's flu-like symptoms, um, is that flu-like symptoms often indicate type 1 diabetes. Mm, yeah. And so she took him home. Seven and he, months. I mean, yeah, that's very young that. even yeah. for usually type 1. A lot of people know it as juvenile diabetes, so we, we associate it with being diagnosed in your youth. But, I mean, you can be diagnosed with type 1 up to, I mean, I've heard of 30-year-olds being yeah. diagnosed. But usually it's a little bit older yeah, than seven, seven months. months to have that acute onset of that yeah. of that autoimmune disease. It's not normal. Um, I mean, I hear of two-year-olds often, but seven months is very young. Mm-hmm. So they missed it. By the time she took him back into the hospital, he his blood sugar levels was at 1,200, mm-hmm. and normal is 80 to 120. Mm-hmm. Really, um, anyone under four should never go under 100 or over 120. Um, but 1200. So he was in um, a diabetic coma and he was life flighted to children's and, um, in a coma for 10 days. And I mean, it's a miracle that he even lived through that. Most don't. Yeah. Um, you hear a lot of, a lot of stories of severe brain damage or death. Um, and he lived through it and he didn't have any brain damage and he, is a healthy five-year-old boy now. Yeah, good. But um, her first question after like that traumatic experience and kind of figuring out how to now keep him alive with a non-working vital organ, um, they put him on an insulin pump right away. And insurance companies usually drag their feet on that um, because it's a very expensive expensive device. Um, They want to make sure that whoever has it is responsible enough to care for that device. Um, and that they're going to comply with it and use it. That's going to benefit them. But since he was an infant, there was really no way to prick him for blood sugar tests 18 times a day or, or have him give you any kind of indication. Him, him he's not going to communicate with you that right. he feels like he's going low. 
Um, so they put them on a pump, and while grateful for that, it's the size of a pager and has like 10 feet of tubing to get to the infusion site on your body and has to be attached to your body all the time. Where are we going to put this? On a seven-month-old. On a seven-month-old. <laughs> yeah. And every person has that question whether they are seven months old. Well, seven-month-old is not the question. The parent does. The 15-year-old, the 20-year-old. Yeah, I have this appendage that I didn't come to the earth with. Right. Mm -hmm. and, or, you know, the lady who's had type 1 diabetes since the 70s, and now her doctor is really trying to get her to go on a pump. Her question is, I don't want to pack that thing around. I don't know where to put it. Yeah. And so we... Um, we kind of had that light bulb moment of, oh, our pocket would be perfect for Levi. Yeah. So um, Nikki found like the smallest pair of tight undershorts. I mean, you don't wear underwear when you're seven months old, but <laughs> she found the smallest one she could. And she like Jimmy rigged our her spandex. Yeah. Jimmy rigged our pocket on that and put a, a buttonhole in the back to feed the tubing through. And... Pulled it over his diaper, tucked in his pump, tucked in the tubing, and there off he was. Went. Yeah. Yeah. How great. And the feedback, even though she hadn't been dealing with that pain point for very long, the sh just the relief of that little bit of stress, dealing with this huge stress of now your child will have a life-threatening disease for the rest of his life, that little bit of relief was huge to yeah. her. Yeah. I mean, we get calls from mothers in tears all the time. And it, it's just a little pocket. Mm -hmm. and it, but it just gives them like a little bit of freedom. Yeah. So like the teenage girl can hide her pump. Or she can wear a dress to prom without having to disconnect or wear a fanny pack. Mm. Yeah. Because she can put it under her dress yeah. safely and securely up against her body. Yeah. Gives them a little bit of discreetness. Um freedom, you know, the five-year-old can hang upside down the monkey bars like the rest of their peers, or they couldn't do that before because yeah. they're worried about their pump falling out of their pocket. So is this pocket attached to their underclothing, or is it a separate kind of like a sleeve? What exactly mm -hmm. does we it... We do it in different clothing items. Okay. So we do it in like underwear shorts okay. for boys and girls. All right. We do it in tank tops that could be worn as like outer workout wear, but fit as like an under garment yeah got it um we do a garter belt we do for like a dress or yeah whatever. Uh -huh. like we get um brides or bridesmaids yeah. or prom yeah. like a pretty garter belt with a pocket for your pump yeah um and then we do a band a bandeau band that can go around your waist or um, a lot of women wear it around their bust uh-huh because a lot of women who have type 1 diabetes will stuff the pump in their bra. Yeah. <laughs> and the cell like phone. Like we do with and our phones. Everything. Yes, right. right. This, that's still not a very secure place. Right. Um, and so our, our pockets give them that kind of option. And you're not going to lose it. You're not going to lose yeah. it. It's not going to get sweaty. It, yeah. It's kind of just safe and secure. Yeah. Um, so we do it in a few different pieces that can be... Um, undergarments or outer garments, which is why we call it innerwear, because it's not underwear. It can be. It's not technically. Outerwear. Outerwear, like it's, it's kind of in yeah. between. But yeah. like you can use it for workout clothes. Yeah. And we put them in leggings and different designs like that. Yeah, I, I think you hit, obviously you've heard this from individuals who've had this, but to have to have that pump when you're being active is, uh, you know, you don't get to... Un 
attach it for a little while and then go do your thing and then come back and attach it. Yeah. It's, it you, is part of your life. You can, and you hear of a lot of teenagers maybe doing that kind of rebelling against it, but it's dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous. And especially if they've used a pump their whole life and they're not used to, you know, like the 70-year-old who's lived with type 1 diabetes for 30 years, she knows how to manage it. Yeah. And so it's harder to convince her to go on a pump because she's got it under control. Mm -hmm. But um, the pump is so much more consistent of care. Um, doctors really push you to get on a pump now because they can get your... Keeps your blood sugar stable. They can get your A1C levels yeah. stable yeah. much, much easier, which ex which lengthens your lifespan and so this decreases only, side effects. This isn't only for insulin pumps, though. Some people have like right. chemotherapy pumps right. or other kind of things. Right. So this pocket would fit any of that yes, kind of stuff. Yes, we, we do it in different sizes for different medical applications. Okay. Um, the diabetic is the longer term customer or patient yeah. we serve them with a greater need so yeah dialysis um chemotherapy pain pumps any of those things it works for yeah what for about them. an indwelling catheter like a urinary catheter do you have a pocket that fits? we have prototyped that okay yeah okay yeah yeah so see lots of great things mm -hmm. to be able to use that for so pocketinnerwear.com is where they would mm -hmm. find these yeah. products so obviously this whole journey is fascinating to hear you talk about this and how that little idea has morphed into mm -hmm. this um, big thing. So you actually took this product to market, not only on Amazon, is, is, is it only... We have it on Amazon, we have it on our website, um, we have it on Etsy. Okay. Um, and then we grew into some, some retail opportunities recently. Um, and that has actually led us to the path where we are selling that company now. Got so it. that there, to, to grow into retail, you've got a lot of cash flow behind mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we've, we've done the past year kind of in a investment VC round with a lot of offers to buy. And this is, this is like a shark tank idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we hear that a lot too. <laughs> so you've done your own little shark tanks with some VCs. In oh, there well, like, I mean, yeah. we have pit. Yeah, we've done a you lot pitch. of pitching. Yeah, and and a lot of the first pitches were totally practice. You know, we thought, <laughs> oh, we're gonna get the money today, and then we get in there, we're like, oh, we had a lot to learn. <laughs> we know? really don't know what yeah. we're doing here. <laughs> so we had to grow through that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that part of the story too, because you have to start somewhere. Yeah. You just got to put yourself out there mm -hmm. and then, you know, things come to you. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, all right. So you talk about all of this. I, I know that you've certainly had your own personal struggles through this, but you seem like a pretty determined individual. Have you ever experienced self-doubt or imposter syndrome or like, what am I doing here? How did I get to... All the time. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about that. Um, well, like life is hard and it's going to throw you through a loop. And then business is hard and partnerships are hard and you have to take a lot of risks. And I mean, most recently... Um, my husband and I like rolled the dice and sold our ranch and moved to Idaho to be closer to partners. Wow. And, and sometimes we're like, what did we just <laughs> do? <laughs> you know, you question yourself. You're yeah. going to question yourself, but you yeah. have to just like, let those thoughts come. They're totally natural. It, it's not a bad thing, but move them on and, and go back to like your end goal. Yeah. So that, you can like refocus mm -hmm. towards that target. Um, yeah, you're going to question yourself. It's normal. 
So when you have that target, you you can just refocus back on it. Remember mm-hmm. why you're going through all of this, why you're right. in Idaho. Thank you so much for being here <laughs> so we could talk to you. But yeah, right? Because you, right. so you gave up your 2,000 acres and came mm-hmm. to East Idaho. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, your husband is still in business, in the cattle business, correct? We still have some cows. We sold most of the cows and we have some cows in Oregon that um, we have a, cus- a customer of ours. He used to buy bulls from us. He um, is running those cows for us, but we just have, we have 12 acres here and, you know, he could bring them here, but it really is not why we came here. I mean, I think we all miss it. Like I would really like to have some cows in my backyard, but (laughs) if you've ever had cows, if you have two or you have 200, it's like the same responsibility. Yeah. If you leave town, they're going to get out, whether you have two or 200. <laughs> like, you still have to fix the fence. I mean, even if it's just 12 acres, you know, we fix fence on 15,000 acres because we leased a bunch of acreage too. Um, so it's, a, yeah, we're, we're in the business, but we, we're not really involved Doing in the business like right now. So my husband does, he does excavation work because that's what he's always done. So, well, there's certainly a need for it. But here. he's new. To, he's kind of new to town. So he's kind of been like, people don't know me. So if you need excavation work, I know everyone's <laughs> really busy. You know, What is his business? Freedom Excavation. Freedom Excavation. His name is Jim Bloomfield. Okay. We'll put that in there. What advice would you have to somebody considering self-employment? You've certainly been through this game a few mm-hmm. different times. So what kind of advice would you have for them? You have to, you have to be confident, force yourself to be confident, like work through that self-doubt and imposter syndrome. Um, I hear it from people who are even further along than me in the entrepreneurship journey that it doesn't go away. Like you might be making eight, nine figures a year and it still doesn't go away. So work through that. Um, it doesn't have to be as hard as you make it, but it's not easy. Like you better be ready to mostly face yourself and work on yourself. That's the hardest part. Then if you can do that, um, then the rest becomes easier. But you, but in order to work on yourself, you're going to have all these challenges, especially in business. I mean, life, we all know that. Like, but business is, it's not all roses. And Don't let it defeat you. A just lot of times go. you can't pay the bills, but yeah. just keep going. Yeah, yeah. That is the reality of owning your own business. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were to look back over all of these decisions that you've had to make, what do you believe is the most worthwhile risk that you've taken and why? Mm. That's a good question. We're kind of in the middle of, um, we're, we're in the middle of selling pocket anywhere and I kind of don't even like to talk about this, but that partnership kind of turned out sort of negative. Mm-hmm. And that's very sad for, I think, all of us. Yeah, right. Um, it wasn't what you saw in the very beginning. Right. We yeah. were all friends, and um, it just kind of turned out not good. Yeah. And I'm a partnership person. Yeah. I believe that's where the wealth is. You put two minds together, it's better than one. I'm a partnership person. I'm a proponent of partnerships, but... Um, this one kind of turned out, it was hard, yeah. very, very hard. And, you know, you also hear that. Like, if you start to see success, it yeah, sometimes brings not out the worst. And then the... even when you're not seeing success, it might bring out the worst. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to deal with your partnership like a family. Yeah. And if you don't 
love each other like that, it's going to be really hard to make it through that hard stuff. Yeah. Even harder to make it through the good stuff, actually. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, like moving to Idaho, that's been kind of that's one of the questions. Risk. Like, <laughs> I moved here to be close to my partners, and and it kind of blew up in yeah. our face. Yeah. And um, so we we question that, like. Give up yeah. our business we were for because we for have some a reason. good we my husband and I have a good partnership yeah like we are we're a team we can build anything well there's no doubt that whatever reason you're here for you're going to be successful with but yeah right. I think right now you're at the point of show me what that is right mm -hmm. and I I think I'm I am getting glimpses of that with I I went ahead and moved forward with dreamers makers stewards and yeah. then that brought on a partner with launch incubator and yeah. we have some big opportunities i mean big we just beat out the Harmon brothers for a contract wow to launch a company oh my gosh and we How were exciting. like when they when when the those business owners told us that well Harmon brothers just gave us an offer we were like all right we're out <laughs> that's awesome for you <laughs> and they chose us but we went back and forth against the Harmon brothers and um, I, I'm you still decided kind of like you're like pinching we're going to be right there with them, right? Yeah, I was going to say, are you having a little imposter syndrome right now? Totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And but you know things do work out the way they're supposed to. Boy, they do. No kidding. And so I think it it really it's definitely that move was the right move. Yeah. Um, we you know how we bought the 300 acres and flipped it. That was our intention, so we could go bigger. We and then we went bigger with partners. And we loved our partners, but um, it's hard to pass down a ranch within a family. Like, you're, this is not a long-term eternity thing. And my husband's goal is to, like, kind of rebuild what his great-great-grandparents started mm -hmm. so that it can be passed down through the generations. Sure, sure. So we knew, eventually, we would either buy them out or we would move on. Uh-huh. We just, um, until... You know, we started this, I started this clothing business and then it morphed into the pocket innerwear project. We didn't know that was on the radar. Of course not. And so we thought if we moved on, we would just... It'd be in the ranch. It'd be ranching. Yeah. And we, we honestly thought we'd go back to Colorado. Yeah. To be close to family. Right. You're working your way there. We're working our way closer. It's a little closer. <laughs> so that helps. Yeah. But... Um, we do love it here so far. Yeah. So what's the future? Obviously, you've got Launch Incubator doing some mm -hmm. great things. Is that what your, the future looks like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of the, I'd say, the main projects. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of leading me down that path. But you have a product. So if I wanted, if I had an idea, I reach out to you and you could help me take that product to... Sure. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. phase you're in, I've literally done it. I've done it from the beginning. And, but you have a business, actually, that you're maker. Uh, Dreamers, makers, doers. Yeah, is mm -hmm. that business. Okay. Yeah, and that's more for the beginning stages of if you have an idea, um, let's figure out if it's potentially patentable. Let's get you some patent protection. Um, figure out how to kind of go to market to test your idea and generate some revenue. How do people find you? Is that dreamersmakersdoers.com? Okay. It's on Great. there. They can find me on Facebook and um, all those things. I will make sure to have those links in uh, on the website under cool. Laurel's story. I'll make sure that those links are there mm -hmm. so people can find you. Yeah. So Laurel, thank you for your time. Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners? We've talked about a lot. Mm. You have such a fascinating story. Oh, we you. could talk forever. But so I anything... think before we started recording, we talked about like, what if there's other moms out there think they, you know, they have like a baby at home or 
they're wondering if they can build a business around their idea. Um, I get asked a lot, like, how did you get into Target? Most people don't, the answer is most people just don't pick up the phone. So, I mean, I sent LinkedIn messages, probably a hundred of them, didn't get a single response. But what was happening in the background was one of those people was a supervisor to a buyer's group and she walked over to the other buyer's group and said, hey, you might want to look at this. Mm -hmm. And then she passed it down her chain and the buyer called me. Wow. The target buyer called me. So even if you're feeling super rejected, you can do it. And then at that time, we were still on a ranch in Washington where I barely had internet. I was (laughs) four miles from a neighbor. Cell service was not great. I literally had my infant. And the first time I had a scheduled call with my target buyer, it was raining outside and I had no service. Oh, no. So I put my infant in the car seat carrier, put the rain cover over it, and hiked to the top of the hill. No, you didn't. Yeah, there's cows around. And I took so my first call <laughs> with the target buyer in the rain with the infant in the car seat at the top of the hill trying to get That's awesome. And yeah. so, like... You really can do it. Yeah. And no matter who you are, like even if you have, even if you're, I mean, I know I'm pretty confident in who I am, but like I could really be like, well, I'm just some ranch wife. Like who's going to take me seriously? And, but, <laughs> but you didn't approach it like that. I didn't approach like, it like I that. I have a product and you're going to be interested. And you need it. Yeah. 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 I and love it. I think, I think more people need to know that they are that powerful. Like they, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or just pick up the phone take the rejection and keep going and you don't know what's happening behind the scenes to lead you where you're supposed to go oh i love it um i love that advice i think that so often we don't embrace our power and believe in the universe working in our behalf so Mm -hmm, that's awesome well laurel thank you so much for your time today and especially for sharing your story with us you are a wealth of information and a help to so many out there and it was so fun to hear how your personal journey has led to so many things that can help others. So it's clear that this is just the beginning for you. <laughs> so let's talk again in a couple of years and you can update yeah. us on your that happenings. How's good. that? Okay. That sounds good. As a reminder, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair for all of your automotive repair needs. There is only one place to go for honesty and integrity. So come visit one of our locations in Idle Falls or Rexburg and let our family take care of your family. Now stay tuned for tips and tricks to lead your business to success in the business leadership moment. It's now time for a business leadership moment on East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the business leadership moment. As a reminder, this particular segment is brought to you by Idaho RiseCon, RiseCon and RiseX. Uh, RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference that's held every November and we just completed an amazing event. So if you didn't get to come, please plan on joining us next year. RiseX is a monthly mastermind group that meets in Idaho Falls and Pocatello. And it's a great time for us to get together with other business owners and have them help us deep dive in our business. So if you have not been to one of these events, please check it out. Um, they're, they're happening every month. Um, plus all sorts of other things uh, that that group has going on. So check it out, IdahoRiseCon.com. And Z, uh, Rise is spelled with a Z. All right. Hey, I wanted to uh, just, it's the holiday season. Um, we've just been through Thanksgiving. We're, we're Christmas. Actually, when this drops, it's going to be after Christmas. So there's been some things on my mind. Um, one particular story that I wanted to share with you guys. So 
if any of you have listened to me for any length of time, you know that I'm highly interested in accountability and not rescue fixing and saving people, letting them learn from their own challenges and mistakes. Well, as I, we come into this holiday season, it reminds me of a story that I love to tell, and so I thought I'd share it with you guys today. Um, I married my husband, Kevin, because of his mother. I have the best mother-in-law ever. I'm just, you know, I would put her up against any mother-in-law out there. She's an amazing person, and definitely I was drawn to her when we got when I was dating Kevin and when we got married. And when we were first married, I was a brand new nurse. And so I was just trying to figure out marriage and job and working night shift and Christmas and, or I mean, Thanksgiving was coming. And so she gave me the assignment to bring the relish tray. And that was an amazing gift, right? Because it doesn't take much culinary talent to bring a relish tray. And I felt like I could do that and participate. So that was my assignment, the relish tray. Um, And it went on like that for several years where Thanksgiving would come and my assignment would be the relish tray. And I was grateful for that because I was working. Then we'd started a family and I was working and just so many things to juggle. A relish tray was a great thing. Well, fast forward to 10, 15 years into the marriage, I'm kind of figuring out how to cook for one and um, how to balance all of the things that I need to balance. And I was, and, and I'd go to Thanksgiving dinner and I would see my mother-in-law running around like a crazy person. Now, I will tell you that she loved that. She's never been resentful around that. Um, it definitely filled her cup to feed us. And you guys probably know individuals like that where that just brings them so much joy and that's my mother-in-law. So, but I, it bothered me, right? I wanted to be able to help more and do some things to reduce her stress. And so I offered to bring other items. And she's like, oh, no, no, honey, you just bring the relish tray. Well, as time goes on, I start telling myself a little bit of a story about how she must think I'm a really crappy cook. And and if she's not even going to trust me with bringing something beyond the relish tray, maybe she's questioning my ability to be a mom and a wife. And, you know, on and on and on the stories that we tell ourselves. Of course, none of that was true. She wasn't thinking that at all. She thought she was helping me out by just allowing me to put together a little relish tray. Um, And so at some point, I had to have this conversation with her around, so mom, I understand this assignment and I love you for it. But when you don't allow me to do something more, it makes me feel like I'm incompetent or you don't trust me. Or, you know, you think I'm going to ruin the sweet potatoes and so you're not even going to give me a chance to do it. Um, And plus, I see you running around so crazy, and I want to take some of that off of you because I love you. And so it was a good conversation. Um, We've compromised since. I still bring the relish tray. Well, actually, I have to tell you, this year I didn't bring it. Um, It has been delegated now to a niece who has her hands full with all family and everything. So um, again, I know that that assignment is out of love and uh, mercy (laughs) for those of us who are running around crazy. Um, But we were able to come to a compromise years ago around, I can bring the relish tray and I'll bring the best dang relish tray that you've ever seen. In addition, I bring some of my other favorites from my family um, and it's a win-win. But the moral of this story, I think it plays so well to some of the things that we do as leaders where we believe that Sometimes it's just easier for us to do it. We've been doing it for so long. It's just easier for us to jump in and do it. And it'll take longer for me to explain how to make the sweet potatoes than if I just do them myself. Um, 
it'll, it'll take longer for me to figure, tell them how to do a certain project. Um, and you know, that might be true, but in the end, especially for your high performers, if you don't allow them to do that and figure it out, they're going to leave you. It's demotivating. It's, uh, it, it, it just sends the wrong message that I don't think that we are intending to send. We want to help and actually we're cutting them off at the knees. So learn from the relish tray lesson, guys, and just look at the way that you're doing your leadership. And maybe that's at home too. How much are we allowing those around us to do? And it's okay if they fail because that's exactly where they learn. So how much are we allowing them to do? How often are we jumping in, rescue, fixing, and saving? Here's my challenge to you. Stay out of it. Delegate something. Give clear instruction on how you want the outcome to be. And then step aside and just allow people to rise to the occasion. You will be surprised to see how well your team can rise to the occasion um, and accomplish, accomplish great things. And it didn't take your time. It helped build them, help build your company, um, and your team will be stronger for it. So um, that's the parable of the relish tray for today. And I hope you all have had a fantastic holiday season. And I wish you the very best in 2020. And we'll see you on the other side of 2019 in 2020. Have a great rest of your year. And I look forward to what's going to come to all of us in 2020. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair. For all your car care needs in Eastern Idaho, let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com